Have you ever found yourself wondering, what else can I listen to on the Osiris Network? Here's another great podcast you can check out. Hey, this is God We Evan. Uh, we are a podcast where uh, three friends force another friend, Evan. Hi. To listen to a band he doesn't want to listen to. Ween. It's a journey. It's wonderful. It's funny. And it's filled with great music. Except for the ween. <laughs> And the journey. <laughs> and the friends. So listen to it. Or don't. That's what I wanted to do. Only on the Osiris Podcast Network. Dot com. <laughs> This is Donnie B, the host of Female Centrics. We are the first and only fish female hosted community podcast. And we are with the Osiris Podcast Network. And I just want to start by saying that Female Centrics stands in solidarity with the Black Lives Matters movement and with those protesting police violence and inequality across the U.S. We've held off on new episodes in honor of this. I have been working on understanding racism as a system into which I personally was socialized. And in turn, what I'm realizing is that receiving feedback on problematic racial patterns is a really helpful way to support black lives. Um, In this episode, we're going to be interviewing Shawnee Robinson, who is going to be discussing um, her involvement in the Fans for Racial Equity group and her experience within the fish community as a black woman. I know during this I may make some mistakes and uh, this is part of the process, but I also recognize that my silence does more harm. So I hope everyone's doing great out there and that you're all staying safe and we'll be back in just a moment with Shawnee Robinson. All right, we are back and we want to welcome Shawnee Robinson, who is a big fish fan and part of the group called Fans for Racial Equity, and that would be fans with a PH, of course. So welcome, Shawnee. Hi, thanks for having me, Don. You are so welcome. Definitely. I appreciate you uh, joining us and uh, we were kind of joking beforehand that I'm sort of all over the place, but we finally settled down and, and got this done. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, Shani, we're going to start with the way we start with everyone and find out how you got into this circus called fish. What is your fish story? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I went to a really progressive liberal arts college called Warren Wilson College in Asheville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, very small, very liberal, very white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, um, out of 900 kids, about 20 of us were black. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. which didn't bother me, you know, it's whatever. Did you come um, I, where you were from when oh, you were in a black community? I'm sorry. When, where you were from, did you grow up in a black, in a mostly black community? No, no, no. no? Okay. I grew up. 
primarily around white folks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like uh, when I went to college, everyone liked Fish and the Dead. You know, it's a, it was the school is very weird. It's like a cross between like summer camp and circus school. So oh. you know, a bunch of liberal young white pot smoking kids. Of course, they're going to listen to Fish yeah. and the Dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, um, but yeah, I had heard Fish and like you know, the dead back in high school, but it wasn't really my thing. Um, but the summer after my freshman year, one of my classmates convinced me to go to Meriwether. You know, this was like, I think two, this was 2010. Okay. Um, and so I, I went, you know, and I liked the music. Okay. Um, but what really got me was just how kind everyone was, hmm. you know, like there's this older couple on the lawn that kind of adopted me for the night. You know, <laughs> when you tell people it's your first fish show, you know how we get. Oh yeah. Bells so, and whistles so, and all of it. <laughs> oh, of everything. You know, they, they bought me water all night, made sure I didn't get lost on the way to the bathroom. Like they, they treated me like their child, yeah. <laughs> which was very like overwhelming, but like also awesome for like, you know, I was an 18 year old kid at this point. Sure. So, so, um, now had you gone to a lot of concerts, like other, like what other music were you into before this? Were you big into going to shows before this? I was, Mm -hmm. um, not like not jam band or like festival type shows, but Mm -hmm. I, I'd been to probably, I don't know, 50 or 60 shows by Mm -hmm. then. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, other stuff I was into like electronic music and like indie music. I was all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. But, Fast forward to the next summer, 2011, I decided, okay, I'm going to buy tickets for both nights. You know, I, I kind of done my research and I was like, okay, I get people usually go to both nights of these things. So I'm, I'm going to try and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, only had off work the first night, the first night. Um, <laughs> and I honestly just figured like, okay, I'll go one night and I'll just sell my Sunday ticket and go home. Mm-hmm. By the end of the first night, I called my boss told him I wasn't coming in the next day and that I quit Sounds and right. bought my ticket to Super Bowl. So that was the summer of 2011. 11. Yeah. I had gone to, I decided to go to Woodstock instead of the festival festival. I couldn't do both of them. And so that's I, what, uh, the Bethel shows, right? Yeah. Cause I was like, I have to do that, you know, <laughs> but I missed yeah, out on course. Super Bowl because it, now was that at Watkins as well? Yeah, it was Watkins. Yep, okay. Mm-hmm. So I've been to Watkins three times now, you know, mm-hmm. Super Bowl, Magnum Ball, and uh, Curveball, or, did, you know, yeah. what was supposed to be Curveball. Did you get into Curveball? I did. I stayed the night. Um, Wasn't me and my, it nuts? Me and my partner. It was crazy. It was, it was crazy. like white people freak Nick. Yeah. It was, it was, <laughs> it was wild. We kept saying it was something like out of that movie, The Purge, except for like, not all the violence, <laughs> but like everything else. Yeah. I mean, it was like and way more LSD. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was like maybe like an hour of mourning. And then the realization we had three days worth of party favors and money and we did it all. Yep. <laughs> <Just>. <laughs> yeah. Hoping Sorry, they'll go back to Watkins. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they will or not. I'm wondering if they'll if they'll deal with that or not. I mean, I feel like that was just a fluke, you know. So I'm assuming it was. It was like it was like a freak of nature type thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So go ahead. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was like my that's like my origin story, you know. Super Bowl was like, I'd say I'd say those Meriwether shows were what hooked me, but Super Bowl cemented it. From then, I was 
I was a fish fan. Like I did, I think I did new year's that year. I did a couple mm-hmm. other things. I was just, I was on the bus at that point. Yeah. 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 So, um, when did you start getting involved with the group fans for racial equity? So fans for racial equity was actually born out of an article that was published on headcount in 2017, Fish Seen So White. Yes. Oh, it was born from interesting. Uh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I had a friend contact me and put me in touch with Adam who wrote the article and mm-hmm. is now one of my really good friends. Um, and he kind of just let me speak my truth as a black woman on the scene, you know, and it ended up going kind of viral and sparking this whole conversation about racism and racial dynamics in the scene and in greater society. And from that free was created. Yeah. Now, so is this something that now do you guys, um, do work off of lot? besides social media or do you mostly is mostly like the work that's done is it mostly like on lot and like what what exactly um do you guys do with with the group in itself so free obviously is um there's a facebook group around it like so many Mm -hmm. other things you know Mm -hmm. surrounding fish um but Free's also been able to make a tangible impact on the scene you know they've tabled at multiple shows um, which, I mean, you think of the tables that you see, like, on the concourse, mm-hmm. you know, at shows. Mm-hmm. You, you got, what, uh, Water Wheel and Fellowship. Free has a table. So I think that that speaks to their, you know, their yeah. credence as a group. Yeah. Um, they've raised money. Um, recently, they just had a panel. Uh, it was kind of like a, a public panel and discussion around race. Um, they raised money for Color of Change. Um, and I say they, because I'm not, you know, I'm not a founder, I'm not a chair for free. So I don't want to get too into the logistics of it. I don't think it's my place, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think it's an objectively good thing when you're doing racial justice work to let people of color speak for themselves instead of talking over for them, over them, even if it is for like the sake of advocacy. Mm -hmm. Um, and free has definitely done that. Free has given me and so many of my other friends who are also fans of color opportunities to tell our stories. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's something that, you know, I've been, you know, I've been learning a lot over the past few weeks, you know, and it's just so many things that I didn't even know about myself. And, you know, I mean, the, the ignorance is scary, you know, and, and what things that, things I feel like a lot, a lot of white people have not realized or did realize and didn't know how much it played, um, a part of who we are, you know? And, um, and that's one of the things I'm finding is about just, you know, try and, and I'm a talker, you know? So, (laughs) so, you know, it's hard and, and, but, but it's, it's, you know, it's been, it's been very humbling. And, um, and so that's, that's great that that's one of those things that they really stand up for. Um, you know, and so in that article that you were in, um, you mentioned, uh, during that article that other fans, uh, show surprise when they find out that you're a big fan and, um, and that when you're alone, you tend to avoid getting into conversations because you just, like ugh, I'm over the surprise. Like, so is this something that you still encounter or, um, uh, like these days, or is that something? Cause this article that was written was back in 2017. So, 
Yeah, it it happens less often these days just because I've been doing this for 10 years. So mm-hmm. I have a pretty large social circle. Mm-hmm. You know, most people I interact with at shows are now my friends that I've had for a few years mm. or friends of those friends. Mm-hmm. But it still happens. Like, uh, for instance, my partner, Travis, and I were at the mall pre-COVID, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and this older white dude stopped him and was like, hey, man, like your shirt. And it was, of course, a fish shirt that I bought him from a show. I think it was like a New Year's show or something. Mm. And to his credit, Travis was like, thanks, man. She got it for me. But the guy like didn't even look my way, like didn't mm. even register that he was talking about me. He just kind of kept going on and was like talking about tour and what shows he was planning on doing. And so Travis was finally like, yeah, that's cool. But I don't go to shows that often. You know, she's the fan. She's been to like 70 something shows. And I could just see the surprise on this guy's face as he processed it. Like, just like what you don't look like what I expect a fish fan to look like. And I get it. I do. I, I don't look like most fish fans. It just gets, it gets exhausted, exhausting being reminded of that fact all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with being in the community for 10 years and, you know, the free began during that. And in July of 2013, the Black Lives Matters movement began. Is it, I mean, is there anything that you've seen, you've noticed a difference in our scene since, since this has gained momentum? You know, I feel like we have this, um, you know, our community with a lot of people who see ourselves as very open-minded and our intentions are good and all of that. But I'm finding that that's one of those things that sort of shuts, shuts the conversation down as well. So, you know, from when the Black Lives Matter movement started to even to where we are right now with how much has been going on over the past, you know, month or so, are you seeing, I mean, obviously you haven't been on a lot, but going before mm-hmm. that, have you seen any like difference in that? Has it been something that you feel is, has trickled into our community? I will say this time around with the, the recent uprisings. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, back, you know, back with Ferguson and the kind of first round of, you know, Black Lives Matter, I I think I also wasn't really checking for that. I mean, back then I was I don't know, 23, 24. Mm-hmm. So like m- I was a lot less, and I hate to use the term, but a lot less woke, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, obviously I was still a black woman back then. So race was something that I had to think about, mm-hmm. but it wasn't something that I pushed for in conversations. Mm. Whereas now it's a completely different story, but I will say that this time around, I've definitely seen people, even people who like I've been friends, I may have been friends with for years, but like would never expect them to speak out about, you know, racial justice or Black Lives Matter, not because they're bad people or they're racists or anything like that, but just because I, I had never heard anything like that from them before. I'm seeing people speak out um, and really surprise me. So it's it's been really enlightening. Yeah. You know, and I have to say for my own self and it's, you know, I I feel like I need to apologize for this because I, so this subject was brought to me, um, maybe last year and, but it was kind of, so it was in fish chicks and it was, it was something that was brought up because I had posted, um, like a couple of collages of all the women that I had interviewed and none of them were people of color. And until I, I posted that, 
I I didn't realize it, you know, and I didn't. So someone had brought it up to me and I immediately I didn't go into a fight over like on the Facebook page, but immediately myself, I got like kind of defensive. Like um, I was like, well, I'm interviewing, you know, people that I find that are whatever they're online, they're posting art, they're talking, you know, whatever it is. And it just had never come up in that manner. And so when someone had mentioned it, like I was having a hard time trying to figure out, see if I can explain this the right way. So I was having a hard time figuring out how to, how to bring up black people within the white, within our, you know, white fish community and without it being like, okay, come on the podcast and just talk about being black. Like I did without like shoehorning in it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. It just wasn't, and it hadn't, it wasn't necessarily my comfort level. It just didn't feel, um, sincere. It's not that I didn't care. I just didn't know how to, you know, yeah. Right. Shoehorn it in, you know, and, and it's something that I, I feel bad about. And it's something I'm understanding now that it's one of those things that is a piece of, of, I feel like all of us and we're all like, everybody's opening up right now. So like, and you know, I'd wish I'd made that choice last year, but I am, I'm happy that, that now I'm kind of getting it, you know, or I'm starting to understand it, you know? Um, and I think that that's what you had, maybe it was last year that, cause remember you had said that you thought that we had kind of connected for a minute. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we did. I think, uh, Bethany had like put us in touch from fish chicks, mm-hmm. but like you said, like it's, when, when there's no uprising, when there's no movement, it's not on the forefront of people's mind. And I, I feel, I, I get what you're saying because I feel like if maybe you had come to me back then, and like you said, I just kind of, Hey, come on my podcast and talk about being black. Like, thank you for the platform. Yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, yeah I, I get it. But I also think that it, it is, it is worth mentioning that you are taking this moment now you know, I mean, of course, like everything that's going on, it's terrible. And it's, you know, I don't want to try and add any positives to it. But I think one of the things that are that is coming out of it is that it is opening up so many more people who would not have been who would not have had these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I didn't even it's like, Hey, I don't want to sound like I didn't even know about it. Of course I knew about it, you know, but I just didn't get it. I just, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand, you know, I have to say, so, you know, my town I grew up in all white and then I went to Oregon and then, you know, my college was very, I would say 50, 50. And, um, but primarily, you know, and where I live now all white. And so it's one of those things I just, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. And, and not, yeah. And, and, and I had the, um, oh, this is what I was going to say. I, d- I couldn't, I didn't get what right privilege was because I was so freaking privileged because I'm so freaking privileged, you know, <laughs> like didn't even know it was a thing. And I remember the first time it really ever, you know, this aha moment for me was when, uh, it was a woman that I used to care for her children. She has two children from, she's a white woman, two children from Ethiopia, to from the Philippines. And it was the first time she brought something up about it. And I was so confused because I was like, how, I'm like, what are you talking about with white privilege? You have adopted children. Cause I didn't get, I didn't understand the difference. And I feel like this movement right now is opening up a lot of, a lot of eyes to 
just like being humble and, and, and listening and, and being willing to make the changes and being willing to take the risk of, of, you know, coming out there and making, making the mistakes and then correcting and moving on, you know, and keep moving forward. And, and so, you know, with me having this platform of, all these white fish listeners, you know, I've been really just trying to research and figure it out exactly how I can try to get, um, this point across. So it's, um, an open, so we keep this conversation going and we keep the momentum going, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so we were just talking about that article and, um, so you uh, were speaking about trying to have these conversations about the race and racism in the scenes and that you've felt silenced or derailed with the whole like love and light rhetoric and whatnot. Um, Would you be able to give us like an example of a time that this happened? And what are some ways that white fans can engage in these conversations or start them ourselves? Um, well, I've had multiple, multiple conversations, especially like in the Facebook groups where I'm gaslit or questioned about my own lived experiences, like things that have happened personally to me. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's like, they, they kind of, they kind of insinuate like people being weird to me couldn't possibly be about race because fish fans are just the most accepting crowd ever. Mm. And I'll, I'll give that to you fish as a microcosm of like the larger world is a much more tolerant and accepting crowd than most. But I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> I have no reason to lie about this type of stuff. And I have friends that are also people of color that have had similar experiences. So I know that what this weirdness that I'm feeling and these experiences that I'm having are legitimate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just, I feel like a big step would be to actually believe black people when they tell you like, Hey, this happened to me. Like, don't just try and make it. Be well, that couldn't have possibly been a race thing. Maybe you're just, you're just, you know, taking it the wrong way. Like, no, people are still racist, whether they're fish fans or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and then, you know, how would be ways for, um, you know, for us to be able to, I don't know, you know, you mentioned the gaslighting and, and, and I'll tell you, uh, just recently, um, I've been, so in my town, a Confederate flag flies in this man's field. And I guess it's been there for years. And a couple months ago, I posted something about it. And apparently there's a bunch of racists in my town. And it was just horrifying. Where do you, where do you live again? I'm in Aren't Southern Ma- in New England. Uh, yeah, I'm in Southern Maine. It was shocking makes no sense to me (laughs) no I know and I live in one of those sort of hippie hippie liberal everybody's you know I mean on the outside you know and so when when this was coming back to me I mean I was just in utter shock and I ended up I people started attacking me they were calling me racist they were calling me hateful because I was bringing it up and then they were saying oh the history and all that bullshit right so I just kind of like uh, I shut down and I shut it off and I brought it back up. Um, sorry, I brought it back up last week, and again, just um, just hit with this. I mean, there was a handful that were supportive, but it was an overwhelming amount, and it was the gaslighting. And it's so I'm pretty naive um, 
when it comes to that type of, of, you know, like the people who are like manipulative and the gaslighting, like I, I'm very much hard on my sleeve and I don't really get it when someone's like lying or, or being weird about shit. Like I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. Like I just, yeah. it goes right over my head, you know, but over the past couple of years, unfortunately I've had a couple of uh, pretty close incidents for, you know, longer periods of time with these type of people. And so I'm starting to kind of pick up with, on it, but it was amazing when you were saying about the gaslighting about how it was just like, well, this is your thing and you want everybody to believe this. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with me <laughs> you know I'm like and you almost start to think like am I crazy yes am I imagining this thing yes it's like no you're not right yes exactly it's uh, yeah gaslighting is a powerful powerful tool for people who can't see themselves and want to like uh, it was and and so somebody else actually ended up like I guess an admin for the town group ended up pulling it down or whatever but um but it just you know it was just a very big eye-opener you know, on, on a lot of the subtle subtleness or completely not subtleness at all. You know, it's like just uh, crazy as far as that, that piece is uh, concerned. Um, so I want to talk about uh, the 2018 attacks on uh, Joe Allen Jr. and Samir Poles um, at the Gorge. Um, so I, I think a lot of people know, but just in case two black men were attacked, were hit with rocks during the middle of a show and really, really hurt badly, sustained major facial um, injuries as well as brain injuries. And it was this immediate, like, uh, you know, fans pointed, I guess there were a couple of Nazis out there with, t or, I don't know, national socialists and they had tattoos on them with, you know, Nazi tattoos and they were selling nitrous and there was this immediate, like, it's gotta be them, you know? And, yeah. and to my knowledge, like I did a little bit of back research on today. Cause I was like, you know, I tried to, I kind of, I, I contacted Samir shortly after it happened and we had a little back and forth, but I think he was really getting overwhelmed with a lot of people wanting to talk to him and find out what was going on and that sort of thing. So it sort of petered out. But um, so I kind of went back to see if there had been anything that had been followed up on it or whatever. And it just seems as like they just went and interviewed these two guys and they were like, yeah, no, they didn't do it. And and then the incident, you know, slowly died, died down. So, you know, do you have any thoughts on like how we as a community could have rallied together and to help get justice for Joe and Samir? Or do you know anything of anything that came out of that? Or um, this is 2018. So that would have been free would have been started already. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's been yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's in 2017. Yeah, sure. So how did, um, how did free handle it and, and, and whatnot? Well, um, I can't speak too much to how free handled it just sure. because I wasn't, like I said, I'm not, you know, uh, yeah, I'm yeah, right one, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not, I'm not a, a leader in that and I'm not the most active member just cause I have my own shit going on. Mm -hmm. But, um, I, as far as getting justice and, you know, kind of writing what had happened to these two guys, I think for one, believing them would have helped. You know, I remember very vividly people creating this sort of like alternate narrative that Samir was this nitrous dealer. And this was like a turf war thing oh. rather than a hate crime Jesus, or that he deserved it somehow because of, you know, people's opinions about nitrous on the scene, which I get, you know, nitrous can totally be a blight on the scene. I've, seen it with my own eyes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but a he said that wasn't 
what happened multiple times. Obviously, it wasn't what happened because another black man got attacked along with him. Mm -hmm. And even if it was, did he deserve to be bashed in the face with a rock for it? You know, I've seen thousands of fans buying nitrous outside of MSG every year for a decade. Mm -hmm. So clearly all of you don't have an issue with it. Mm -hmm. you know? And I've seen the same sort of like whataboutism with, uh, with George Floyd recently, you know, like, oh, he had a fake 20 or he had a criminal record, like as if that makes it okay to beat someone or murder someone. Can you explain you what know? about ism? Like, you know, like, Oh, what about if he had a $20 bill that was fake? Is that yeah, what you mean? Okay, yeah, sure, like, sure. So any excuse like as if, to... Mm -hmm. As if that excuses what happened to him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but you go to a fish show and you'll see 50 different ways to break the law before set break. You know, for, <laughs> white, for white fans, it's okay. Mm. You know, it's not a demerit on their character. But for Samir, like, it has, like, oh, you know, it can't be that, you know, these Nazis were just looking to fuck up black people. It's, you know, it has to be because of some other unsavory element to him. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so well, that was... That was a real eye-opening thing for me, especially. It's like, even when Black people are, are being violently attacked, we still don't get the benefit of the doubt. Even in a community that we're supposed to be a part of, you know, I know Samir has been to plenty of shows, plenty of people knew him, but, like, he still got questioned on something that could have cost him his life. Mm. Yeah, you know, and it, it, it's interesting because I was um, rereading the article that um, that you had mentioned before there. And I don't, again, I don't know if I've thought about this, but in this, in this sense is that about how you can go to, you know, a festival, you've got 30,000 white people doing all the drugs in the world and running around like crazy people. And there, you know, yeah, there's arrests, but it's mostly just the cops and, and how, I mean, has that been something like, has there been, you know, big music festival festivals that are mostly black people attending in that manner? Or is like, is this something that's, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and is that, yeah. no, is that something that, and there's, a, and the cops are like, you go to, uh, like, I, so I live in Baltimore, mm -hmm. which is maybe about an hour and a half from DC. I mm -hmm. grew up in a DC suburb. You go to DC, they have this festival called uh, broccoli city. And it's, you know, it's like ma mainly like, top 40 rap acts it brings out a huge crowd mm. primarily primarily black people because dc is still a black city mm -hmm. um and you for every maybe 10 people there's a cop yeah you know? mm. whereas you go you go to a fish show and yeah maybe there's a lot of cops usually not though mm -mm. and if it is it's a completely different act like people are high-fiving the cops they're having full-on conversations you go to a festival full of black people and you are being watched every second. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine like it's a huge difference from you being at the fish show with all that going on. And is it something that's like really in the forefront of your mind when you are experiencing both both situations? Um, yes and no, mm -hmm. just because like it's always on the forefront of my like even when I'm at a fish show and I see my friends act, you know, acting crazy, doing whatever they want, right in plain view of cops, I know that I don't have that same luxury. Like, I'm <sighs> not going to make an ass out of myself and make myself a target. Like, I've, I've seen people, like, you know, try and jump the barrier to get on the floor or something like, yeah. like that. I, I could never do that because I stick out immediately. You know, not only 
am I a black person, but I'm a black person in a literal sea of white people. So it's just not a reality for me. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Um, all right. So we are going to take a quick break and we're going to come back. But before we take our break, I did just want to send a, a shout out and a thank you to my dear friend, Moses, who, um, he was going to be on the podcast with us. And then, you know, we've kind of been back and forth and this and that. And, you know, when I came down to, I said, Oh, we'll just go one-on-one here. But I just wanted to thank you, Moses, for taking your time to, let me ask you a whole bunch of vulnerable questions and to answer from your heart. Um, so thanks, buddy. And um, we will be right back. All right. And we are back with Shawnee Robinson. And uh, just over the little break there, we were just discussing um, uh, about the well, right before break, we were discussing the attacks on Joe and Samir at the gorge. And um, then during the break, um, you had brought up Shawnee, you brought up a good point that the band never released an official statement after that that they had done something privately for them but there wasn't and now that i remember because it was right at the beginning of of when i first started my podcast so i was you know trying to see if i could speak to samir and whatnot and i want to say like there was something that had like i think it was something with the band but it wasn't a public it wasn't a public statement though no, yeah. no, it wasn't. Yeah. And I feel like the band definitely got some some flack for that, but they never really corrected it. So, you know, with the fans for racial equity, um, you were mentioning that there was um they were trying to connect with the band to make a statement to uh make some more to support more racial equality within the fish community. Um, and do you know how that's going and what their intentions are and how they want to present this to them and what they're, what they're looking for? Yeah. So I had, um, I had mentioned earlier, uh, free recently just had a public panel. Um, we had a couple different speakers. I was one of them. Um, and a part, parts of it were just, you know, black fans and fans of color song telling their experience. But other parts were like, um, like my friend Adam, the one who wrote the article, he presented another ad- another article that he wrote about white fragility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just a whole bunch of different topics loosely uh, surrounding racial justice. Mm-hmm. And we actually had like we didn't no one from like the actual band showed up because it was a Zoom conference. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had Beth from Fish Inc., like okay. the, I'm pretty sure she's like the the manager mm-hmm. of some sort. We had Tom Marshall do mm-hmm. a trivia question. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're getting like engagement from like band adjacent people, mm-hmm. but we haven't we haven't gotten you know acknowledgement from the band. Which I mean, the, at the end of the day, that's the, that's very far down on the list of what what we're looking for. Sure. But at the same time, it, it helps, you know, it's like, Hey, if the band is acknowledging this, then maybe it's something that I need to look into. Mm-hmm. But, um, I will say the day after we had our, our conference, our panel, um, 
the whole blackout thing, the, the, what was it? Like the, the music industry blackout Sure. that had started gaining traction. And a lot of people were like, well, is fish going to cancel their dinner and movie? Because it was supposed to, it was scheduled for a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And right after our panel, fish put out a statement. First time they've ever said anything about racial justice or black lives matter. They put out a statement and say, they're going to cancel it. So I don't know if, we were instrumental in that, but I would like to think that it helped. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, if Tom was involved, he obviously is still, you know, he's super close. Yeah. With guys, yeah. So I'm know. sure he passed along the word maybe. Or something yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or they were just, you know, possibly planning on doing it, but that's, um, you know, and, but this is, and this is why, this is why we need to talk. This is why we need to keep talking and keep moving in this direction because, because for, um, us who have not spoken up before in the past or didn't know how to, we're finding a voice because we're listening and and standing standing up now, you know, um, yeah. as as much as as much as we're able to, um, you know, earlier today, you had sent me an article um, and I again, thank you, because <laughs> I was not aware <laughs> of this about um, tone policing. So um sort of the definition of tone policing is uh, the attempts to control someone's expression. And it, uh, it says that you do not, sorry, it says that you do not respect their right to speak to you in a way that does not coddle them. So talk to me. I don't think I'm explaining that great, uh, but talk to, <laughs> talk to me what, why that was important for you to bring that up to this evening. I think because first of all, Black people do not owe you civility when they are arguing their own humanity. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, people get so caught up in the, the, the delivery that they miss, they miss the actual message. Mm. And it's a message that a Black person is taking the time and effort and emotion to deliver to you, sometimes at the detriment of their own mental health. You know, the concept of emotional labor, it's like it's, you know, a social justice buzzword, but it's also a legitimate thing. You know, if I'm giving you knowledge, whether it's something I've learned in a book or from my own experiences for free, you don't get to dictate how that knowledge is presented. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know, and that was something actually, you know, so I reason why I really wanted to make sure I thanked my friend Moses, because it was, again, one of those things I realized afterwards that was like, don't just call up your black friend and be like, hey, what do I say? What don't I say? Like, what? Are, like, you just catch <laughs> tell up. me about your trauma. Right, like- exactly. Exactly. And again, it's just, oh, you know, these huge aha moments. And and um, and, that you know, I'm so grateful that he did take that time because I was definitely walking into that. So I I just finished the book White Fragility. And so it really opened up you know, my eyes, uh, a lot. And, um, but walking into my conversation with Moses, it was very selfish in retrospect. It was very like, you know, tell, tell me like, I, uh, you know, you know, I'm a good person. I have vulnerable questions for you. Can you just, you know, and obviously, you know, cause this is what you were talking about, but you know, <laughs> it, it's one of those things that it's just, I feel like, um, there's so much of us, so much of this piece that just is shielded and not, you know, we don't talk about, we don't talk about, we don't talk about. So now with all this coming about, there's, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of resources that are going out there. And then there's a lot of like, yeah, don't all of a sudden just come to me and start asking me, 
but what it's, what's it like to be black? Because like, I feel like the whole community has been trying to tell us this for hundreds of years of what is needed. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not thinking about this is this is a, a daily occurrence for you, for you, you know, and and it's not something that's academic or theoretical yeah. for me. It's like, no, it's just my life. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so people claiming not to be prejudiced are demonstrating a profound lack of self-awareness. Um, and so racism is, so obviously I'm, I'm reading this like kind of word for word, because again, this is things that I'm still learning. So I'm going to start over again. People claiming not to be prejudiced are demonstrating a profound lack of self-awareness. Racism is a society-wide dynamic that occurs at a group level. And in the U S whites have this collective. So I want to talk to you about ways as we as a large white fan base can help to make changes within our community. And how can we demonstrate allyship with uh, and solidarity with the black community? Keeping in mind this, you know, very systematic piece of us, you know, and, and whatnot. Well, I think... The first thing mm -hmm. would be to recognize that fish fans on the whole are a relatively affluent fan base. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to be, and I'm including myself, uh, you know, and my privilege as a lifelong upper middle class black woman. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we obviously got money to throw around. Mm -hmm. um, and tour is canceled right now. You know, mm -hmm. who knows if there's going to be a fish show for the rest of the year even. Mm-hmm. So what that means to me is that every fish fan, at least the ones who hold themselves out to be anti-racist, the ones that are posting these black squares and hashtags on social media, needs to be opening up their purse right now. Mm -hmm. You know, do your research, mm -hmm. find a cause to donate to, shop locally with a black business, and there are plenty of them out there. Mm -hmm. You know, reposting and sharing on Facebook is great, and I don't want to... I don't want to detract from the impact of using your voice, but we also need to put our money where our mouth is. Mm -hmm. Do you have any like groups in particular that like you really recommend? And, and when you, when, when we are, when people are donating to these groups, where does the money, like what, like where does the money go into action? Where does it help? So for me personally, mm -hmm. I cannot speak to that. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I, I know that Minnesota Freedom Fund was uh, a big one for people to donate to, but they, they recently came out and said that they are overfunded. They are, they are still accepting donations, but they gave like a whole list of other places to divert your funds to. Sure. Um, me personally, I like to shop with black businesses because that's a tangible, you know, that's me taking my money and putting it in a black person's pocket rather than taking my money and giving it to a group or an organization that I hope will do the right thing with my money. But I really have no like there's there's little to no accountability for it. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, uh, donating to a bail fund is also a good thing, especially if you mm -hmm. live in like a large city where protests have been going on, you know, I donated to uh, the Baltimore, Baltimore Bail Fund because I've been to the protests out in, my, out in my city. I see 
I saw people get tear gassed and shot with rubber bullets. So I know that people are getting arrested. And a lot of the times these are people who are socially and economically disadvantaged and that are going to need that extra money. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, it's just find a way to put money in the pockets of people who have been systemically disenfranchised um, and go from there. You know, that's really all I can that's that's how I would go about it. Sure, sure. Now, do you mind um, talking a little bit about the the protests that you've been involved in and and uh, your experience with that? Yeah, yeah, not at all. Um, and is this your so first time protesting, went, or have you been involved in other ones before? I went to back in the day with the Occupy protests mm-hmm. when that what was that like two two thousand ten or eleven or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that honestly. That, was bullshit. It was really just a bunch of, at least where I was at, you know, I'm, I don't want to, I'm speaking to my own experience, mm-hmm. but where I went in DC, it was really just a bunch of white people having a party and like mm-hmm. a public park, mm-hmm. which, you know, it, we're, sure that's fun, but that's not, it, it, nothing came out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the protests that I went to these past couple of weeks, um, I think the first one I went to was, uh, I want to say right after, right after, uh, the George Floyd killing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was definitely the worst one. It seems like at least for my city, the protests during the day, the cops kind of tolerate us. Like there's, I haven't seen anyone get hurt or, um, attacked by cops during the day, but as soon as it gets dark, like it's like a light switch and there's gas, there's bullets, you know, there's running. And I'm, wow. I mean, I'm sure there are agitators who are, who are, you know, provoking the cops. But also, I think that it's a lot easier to, to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a lot easier to do injustices on people when it's dark out, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and... What were your take on on um, how the organization of these were going? Because that was something when I, I spoke to Moses about um, about you know his take on it all, and you know obviously you know the reasons behind it are big and whatnot. But one of the things that he was discussing that that he wants to see he he lives in um, in Brooklyn, so um, okay, yeah. So he was talking about how he's finding them not to be very organized that well so it's like they're out and they're people are marching but they're they're marching in front of like the community center they're not at the town hall they're not at the police department and that they need to work on the communication within the actual protest so if say a protest is going to start at three o'clock then people who are organizing it meet like this is just me talking this wasn't him saying but i'm just saying like you know get get together beforehand and make sure it's more organized to get across the point a little bit better did you find where you were to be more directed in places where people could would be listening per se or did you find it to be like how was the organization on these that's weird because my my experience personally in baltimore was completely the opposite Mm. like um all of the protests that I've been to have been in front of baltimore city hall um Mm. in the middle of middle of downtown Mm -hmm. and that whole area it's it's kind of 
to our advantage as protesters because that whole area is like not there's no residential areas like there's no community centers down there there's town hall and then there's the inner harbor which is all like corporations and businesses and you know cheesecake factories and very very moneyed areas um commercial areas Mm -hmm. so it's not like i know like a lot of like the whole narrative around protests oh why would they go to their own communities and destroy them but i personally have not seen that and as far as organization like i've been using twitter myself Mm -hmm. i'll just go and i'll type in baltimore protest into the search bar sort by latest and it'll tell you like where there's going to be a protest what it's going to be for um there's stuff circulating on instagram as well like i know uh like we had uh black trans lives uh protest last weekend this friday we're gonna have one for juneteenth so it i my my experience personally is that has been very very organized like i don't know who's organizing it but i've never felt like why am i what am i doing and why am i out you know it's been very very goal-oriented that, yeah. And then, and you're finding it to be like, so they're, they're also involving other like sub communities of the black community then. Where yeah. 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 Like, like most of the, most of the protests have been just, you know, black lives matters and for just, you know, racial injustice against black people. But there's also been like, I've seen one, like teachers for black lives matter i've seen uh like the black trans lives matters um i think saturday there's a protect black women march so like there's been different subsets to make sure that each of each segment of our community is getting the attention that they deserve which is something i hadn't seen before so this sort of leads into uh, my next question so i was listening to npr the other day and they were it was discussing about how right now uh black lives is leading a multi-racial movement and um these current times are being compared to the civil rights movement um so there's been progress from that but clearly not enough and they were discussing like the, you know these differences between the compromises and the conflict where in the past, these movements, it always seems to come to this compromise. And so what are your thoughts on what needs to happen in order for this movement to progress and not settle for a compromise from the white community? I think that's a really good question. Um, you know, a lot of the times, especially now, um, you see this kind of mentality where it's like, at least he got arrested, like in, in reference to, you know, the cop that that killed George Floyd. Mm-hmm. But we're done accepting the least, you know, mm. black people have had to accept the least for ever since this country was, was founded. So I think the idea of just, you know, black people ex- being expected to just sit here and, and take something that, you know, some provisional, you know, concession like oh at least he got arrested like the there was the the female cop back that killed who was it bottom jane Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. she she went to his uh his apartment and killed him she got 10 years and it's like (laughs) okay good she got 
she got, you know, prosecuted for it. But is that the, this man's life is worth 10 years in prison? She'll still be a, a, an able-bodied adult when she gets out. She's not going to be elderly. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that the, that type of, that type of sort of, you know, being expected to take you know, whatever we can get being, being expected to settle for scraps. I think black people have just had enough of it. Like we're not, we're not going to take that anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's something that like, I didn't again, really think about before this, I think, you know, and it's like, and when I was listening to this, to this, uh, you know, thing on NPR, it was talking about like, you know, how much conflict and how can the conflict be directed in a positive manner? And, and is that possible? Like, some, you know, this, this conflict to be raised, have the stakes raised a bit, um, maybe where our society needs to, sorry, maybe what our society needs to break this pattern of systematic racism, because it's so ingrained in us, you know? And, and so it's the, how, how do we, continue on with it yeah without without settling you know and and I feel like how well you know I want to know how do you feel how do you feel do you think that this is going to be the time it changes do you think that people are going to settle for anything or is it going to be something to me it seems really different but I'm curious how you feel I I will say I agree this does seem different I I try not to be uh a pessimist, mm-hmm. but I, I also try to be a, uh, a realist. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know the future. I can't tell if this is going to be, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back and, and, you know, provoke some real change. But I do know that, that us as, you know, the public and especially white people, you know, have a choice to make, you know, and right now, like the movement is obviously in the forefront of everyone's minds right now. It's on trend to support Black Lives Matter. We've seen it with, you know, every company is coming out with some sort of, you know, we support Black Lives too, which is, I I won't say that that is, you know, completely uh, insincere, Mm -hmm. but don't limit your actions to black squares and hashtags. Like what happens when it's not trending anymore? You know, I think it, I think it is, Mm. you know, an objectively good thing to see my friends and like these businesses taking a stand, but keep that same energy, like moving forward, like systemic racism will be here in a month. It'll be here in a year and so on, you know, it's not going away. So you have to keep that same momentum going. I saw this really good, like it was like a meme or something. It's like, you know, whether your lane is, you know, protesting, whether it's donating, whether it's being vocal, just find your lane, put your foot on the gas and drive. Yes. Yes. And, and that's so, so I used to be, when I first, uh, I was like 1920, whatever, when I discovered, uh, I was a vegetarian for seven years. And at the time I have the same, I had the same like awakening to the meat industry. Okay. And I was just preaching to everybody and 
Everybody fucking hated me. No, I'm just kidding. But not that much. They kind of did a little bit because I was like, don't, you can't cook meat in my pans. And like, I mean, I was just really intense about it, but I felt so passionately about it. And I was young and I, and it took a little smacking around verbally for me to get it that you can't put your views on other people. And so this is kind of triggering that same piece of me. And, but I know, I know it's different because a, obviously this has nothing to do with me, <laughs> you know, and, um, and B, this is, it's one of those things that like, this is about sticking up for civil rights and that this is, this is what this is about. And there's, yeah. there's a fight that needs to be had. Yeah. This isn't a preference, whether you like meat or you yeah. don't like meat. Like this is, this no. is people being, you know, systematically taken out by a racist society. Like mm-hmm. there's, it's not like, you know, I, I hate that sort of thing where it's like, I'll support your lifestyle, but I don't agree with it. Being yeah. an anti-racist is not a lifestyle choice. It's yes. just something that you should do. Yes. Yes. And, and no, don't be afraid to, to speak up to it, you know, and, and to not stand yeah. down, you know, like with the flag thing I was talking about earlier. So this morning I was interviewed for the newspaper about it and I've been told that this guy is, you know, used to be in a biker gang and there's all these things. And, you know, I have friends that are like concerned for me and whatnot. And, and I'm like, you know what? He's just a big bully in town. Like what, what did he do? What did he say? Why? Cause somebody's going to say like, you know, come back on me. Like, no, I'm not like it's standing up for the bullies. It's standing up for what's right within my community of something, a difference that I can make. I had a girl reach out to me after I did that article. Who is it? Cause I teach. And so I hadn't seen her in over 10 years. And she reached out to me cause she was like, thank you. Because I had to drive by that flag every day. And she would have kids in the school bus line her and the other only black kid in the bus in front of the flag, like try to make them do that to take pictures with them. And yeah, like, okay. Yeah, exactly. So like, no, I'm not shutting up. I'm not going to, I'm going to keep moving with this. And, but it's the delivery, you know? So it's, it's like how, uh, but what were you just, you just made a really good, you said, get on the bus and keep driving. Like, what are your suggestions as far as someone like me who is like, newly like full of all this and wants to be able to come across without sounding selfish, you know, like I'm trying not to like in, in these pieces and, and just to keep going, do you say, just fuck it, keep go, go. Or do you feel like there's more tactful ways to get across points or I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I I won't say tactful because I I don't think that tack even comes to play in a, in a Mm -hmm. conversation like this. Like it is like, fuck your feelings basically. Yeah. 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 But, um, I think there are more strategic ways to get your point across. You know, the whole, the whole conversation around tone policing that we had, like, yeah, that applies to black people who have to who have to live with these experiences. Like, yeah, you don't get to, you don't get to tell them how to feel about it. But with white people who have the privilege of speaking on this, you know, from the abstract, Mm -hmm. use that, use that to your advantage. Like use your, use your position as a white person who, I mean, quite frankly, other white people are going to listen to you more than they're going to listen to me because you're white. Mm. Use that to your advantage, whether you have to, you know, bullshit and be nice with them and coddle them a little bit, maybe Mm -hmm. that's, that's going to get you more people listening to you than if you just hammer them over the head with, you know, racism is wrong and here's why. 
Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So it's, it's, it's about it's 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 kind of like a game that you have to play, you know. And like I said, white people have the privilege of being able to speak about this and, you know, in an abstract, theoretical sort of way. So it's it's a lot easier to not let your emotions take over and kind of finesse a way into a conversation. Sure, sure. I you know, I, I um so now I teach outdoors. I'm I'm a forest teacher. Uh but a few years ago I was I was still in the classrooms and one of the big things I always did was I teach uh music. So but like themes not themes of music, but like genres. So um and I tried to do it some somewhat um historically speaking, I guess. So, you know, we'd get to the blues and I really, really, really got into how the blues were formed and whatnot. And it, every time I would come, I would get to this point where I'd just be like, well, how, do I pussyfoot around the slavery piece? Like, how do I, you know, like, how do I tell these little white kids, like, I'm going to freak out these, like, you know, parents and whatnot. And, and again, you know, it's funny, again, Moses was the one who really, so I posted something on Facebook. I'm like, what is the general consensus? Do I discuss this? Do I not? And all, everybody white was like, well, you know, be gentle. And you did, did, did. and Moses was like, fuck that. They had to know, like, we had to know, you know, those little kids had to know the slaves had to know. Yeah. Teach them, teach them what exactly happened. And I decided to, to go for that. And I remember just having to really be, you know, figuring out how to do it in a gentle way still, which I think either way, I think is, you know, you don't want you know, terrify any child, you know, as far yeah, as that of course. piece is concerned. But the blues wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. And that is a huge reason, and you know? Fish wouldn't be here if it exactly. wasn't for that. The Grateful Dad wouldn't be here. Yep. Like Yep. Exactly. And it's a, it's funny that you mentioned that because it's like these these people they like, oh maybe you shouldn't like maybe you shouldn't tell kids about it. But I guarantee you, I don't know if you had black children in your class or not at that point usually every year yeah Mm -hmm. if you if you did then they already knew those stories like the Mm. stuff that that white people have to be taught you know the stuff that I I had one of my friends she posted she was like stuff that I was never taught in school she never learned about you know Black Wall Street she never learned about the Tulsa massacre she never learned about that Central Park used to be you know a black commercial district and it was raised to make a park for white people like these are things that black people just kind of yeah these are Mm -hmm. things that black people just learn you know being black and having you know generational information passed down whereas like my friend she's like 35 and she's just learning this so Mm -hmm. I I don't think you're doing a service to children by withholding this information to them from them yep Absolutely not. So I have a, I have uh, two teenagers and then I have a four-year-old and this has been one of the things that I've been trying to like figure out. Like, so my older ones, I feel like are already programmed in the same way that I was. Yes. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've taught them as much as I can, but I'm learning right now. So, and then I have this four-year-old, this fresh new brain that I'm trying to like, you know, what are the ways is it? And so I, you know, Today, my friend sent me um, something about, she's like, you know, that that's great that you do it. You read that white fragility book, but here's a different take. So it was a woman, it was a black woman. She was talking about like, you know, throw your fucking white fragility book out the door and pick up, <laughs> yeah, and pick, pick up a history book because she's in about black, black histories. And she, uh, I wish I could, I remembered the podcast, um, 
I was driving when I was listening to what she was saying, so I didn't have it written down, but she was talking about that's what needs to happen. There's all this history that we're just not even, they didn't teach us, you know, but no problem. We'll have freaking Columbus mm-hmm. Day and tell us a bunch of freaking lies about some guy who just came and killed it. Like, ugh, it's so frustrating to be a sucker to a system, not, not realize it, you know, and, and, yeah. you know, and, to me, I just, you know, I'm hoping that this is something that doesn't go away. You know, I'm hoping, I don't see how, I don't see how it can at this point. I just, I mean, I guess it could, but I don't know. I'm just hoping. I mean, that, yeah, go ahead. I, I am too, but I, I also like, I feel like it's definitely like, you know, uh, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. you know, every city in the world was revolting. And now, you know, and not so much. Mm. I mean, it's, it's still definitely, you know, a national conversation, but it's definitely on the decline. So I think it's incumbent on us to, you know, not to use not not to use a corny quote, but be the change that we want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, like you want to keep that momentum going. Good. You use your voice to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, all right. So I have one last question for you here. So uh, many fish fans have been raised, white fish fans have been raised not to see color. And this concept of the colorblind ideology seemed to have started out as a well-intended strategy for interrupting racism but in practice, it's served to deny the reality of racism and continues to hold it in place. Um, it seems that this concept makes it difficult for many white people to own or even acknowledge our white privilege. What are your thoughts on this concept as far as that piece is concerned? Um, you know, part of this stuff I am getting from that book, White Fragility, and it was something, again, I hadn't really thought of before, but I guess this white this uh, colorblind ideology started when discussing the constitution in the late 1800s. So it wasn't like a foreign concept, but it was a compromise as we were talking about before a compromise a bit that was made after MLK's speech when he uh, said, you know, I have a dream that someday I'll be judged by the content of my character and not the color of my skin. And that was sort of taken and run with, but then there was really no Yeah, I was just about to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are your thoughts on that concept? Um, I don't have the luxury of not seeing color, you know? Mm -hmm. I see color every time I'm the only black person in a room. Mm -hmm. I see color every time I look in my rearview mirror and I see a cop behind me. I don't. I don't have the privilege of ignoring something that could very well kill me. Mm-hmm. So like saying that you don't see color, like it's a major flex, mm-hmm. like if only. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. quite frank, quite frankly, it's, it's a lie. Like I guarantee you that if someone met me at a show and then tried to describe me to someone else, they'd say, oh yeah, that black girl, like mm-hmm. you, you very well see my color. You know what color I am. Let's not, not let's not pussyfoot around, mm-hmm. which you really mean to say, is that when you say I don't see color, is that it is far more convenient for me to ignore or deny any ill treatment you might receive because of your skin color. And that is harmful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so very true. So very true. And it is something that, you know, is this whole generation, I feel like our generation, we were raised by the people who were in the civil rights movements. And again, it's this well-intended yada yada. But then 
with the yeah. it's just created this uh yeah because then we don't even want to say it it's like african-american black uh, uh, i don't know i don't want to be called a racist you know <laughs> yeah it's it's funny i just took this um i took this class because I'm in, I'm in school right now mm-hmm. um and i took this class on adolescent literature and the whole like colorblind ideology it was it's a very much like you said it's like very much a gen x thing like it's really like a very like 90s early 2000s like oh i don't see color and it's it's i get it it's meant to be a good thing it's meant to be it's meant to be i don't i don't see any negatives about your color but why why does why is my skin color or my you know my ethnicity looked at as something that could be a detriment to me i don't want you to ignore that i want you to acknowledge it you know mm-hmm. that's something that i'm proud of it's a part of my identity mm-hmm. i don't think it should be ignored Mm-hmm. And to discuss these these differences as far as cu- cultural different, like if you're explaining it to a child or that sort of thing, you know, I think I feel like it's been something in the past is just like, well, it doesn't matter if they're black or white or purple or, you know, people throw in the purple thing. Like, yeah, you know? I hate that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, how many times has that been told to me as a kid, you know, or whatever? And <laughs> And it does, but that doesn't mean that it has to be, once again, everybody's so afraid of being called a racist that it's, it's like, it just, I just feel like as a society, we just need to relearn this. Am I saying that right? I don't know if that's right. No, you're exactly right. It's, it's a constant unlearning and relearning that you have to really commit yourself to. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Well, Shawnee, like, I just really want to thank you for from the bottom of my heart for this. And I want to thank listeners for um, having patience with me and my process with this. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think that you sharing your experience is something that can um, help help our community as a whole move forward together and and hopefully make some changes you know we have there is a lot of people who want to make a difference and really want want to be the best and want to to do this it's just you know trying to learn how to without asking our black friends you know um so i'm Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for your time i really am um and is there anything i'm I'm grateful that you had me yeah is there anything in particular you'd like to like you know um suggest for reading or for your own personal whatever you do in life that's fun or or i don't know (laughs) you sell shit you want to tell me about (laughs) you yeah you know (laughs) no none of that i have i have nothing to show but um i guess Check, check out free on, on Facebook and um, at fansforracialequity.com. I think that is the website. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, we're definitely on Facebook. You know, I think we're over, over a thousand strong at this point, And we'd love to have you in the conversation. Yeah, they're fantastic conversations, too. They really are. I, I've, been, I've been enjoying them. So. All righty. Awesome. Well, um, I am going to say bye to you now. If you want to hang on a second, we'll wrap up after we get off, uh, get off the air here. And um, so we, I'm just going to say bye to Shanae Robinson and we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back.
right, everybody. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And I want to especially thank Shawnee Robinson for joining us and speaking about her experience within the fish community and for the, all the work that's being done with the fans for racial equity. I also just want to give another shout out to my friend Moses for really helping me out with this as well. And all of our listeners, I'm really hoping that what you heard today will help you along your journey. Um, Cause there's a lot of work to do. So thank you all so much. We'll be dancing together sooner than later. And again, just remember we are part of the Osiris podcast network. So if you want to check out some more awesome podcasts, please go to OsirisPod.com. and yeah, peace out everybody.